Return to Northmore, episode four. Running time, 40 minutes. And welcome to Return to Northmore podcast. I'm Kim. And I'm Tim. And tonight we're going to be covering session two of our adventure. Entitled Young Sharks. The purpose of this is to introduce the PCs to Northmore and specifically the Lost Village. Highlights are going to include a much more complicated battle than last time, as well as some very interesting role-playing moments and possibly a cliffhanger. So the first scene is called Hole on the Water Inn. And this is where the PCs are coming in on the Blackwater Cat, the raft that they had been on from the last session. And they are going to be docking at the Lost Village to unload their wares. If you'll remember from our World and Characters episode, the Lost Village is one of the three key locations that a lot of the adventuring will take place in. In this adventure, there's not a lot of detail of the Lost Village. We're really just going to learn a little bit about the docks area. The NPCs that you're going to be needing to deal with are the Raftman, who you've already detailed and played up quite a bit from the last session. The Ranger, who is the caretaker of the Hole in the Water Inn. And then a few other people that will be kind of coming up in random moments. The Ranger, who is the caretaker of the Hole in the Water Inn, is a long-term recurring NPC that you'll want to really start to relish. You'll recall he was somewhat detailed in your character creation session. This is the opportunity for you to get your last role-playing of the Raftmaster in, as it will be his swan song. Thus the cliffhanger, not to give anything away. As you come into town, this is actually the first glimpse that the PCs are going to get of the entirety of the bog, off into the distance behind the Lost Village. This is really your chance to sort of set the scene, because this is the area that a lot of the adventures are going to be taking place in for a long time. So the bog is really sort of a character in and of itself. As they're approaching the bog on the river. The bog itself is a cold, misty place. There's strange gases that rise up from it and lead to this sort of miasma above the whole thing. And the Lost Village is a small village of wooden buildings that are built on top of old stone ruins. Imagine if you had a stone village that was raised to the ground and then a bunch of wooden buildings were kind of built up on the half remaining walls and such of the ruins. And because this is a wintry kind of scene, there's going to be quite a bit of peat smoke. So it's going to be heavy, somewhat smelly, difficult to see all of the village in clarity. Again, this whole campaign is called Return to Northmore for a lot of different reasons. But in this particular case, the reason is all the PCs have been here before in their background story. And as a result, this really is sort of a homecoming for them in many regards. And so this is really an opportunity to sort of role play up that homecoming aspect. One of the things to make of detail to your PCs is that there seems to be a lot of odd reddish-brown tendrils throughout the water in the bog, and this is presumably from a lot of mud being stirred up from some unknown reason. Some people have said that something must have gotten disturbed deep in the bog underwater, and the mud has flowed even a little bit back upstream and into the river. To set up the scene so that you know where you're at, the Blackwater Cat is coming into town and is docking at the docks of the Lost Village. As you dock, you will notice that the docks are very deserted. 
in the show materials, there is a map of the docks where the Blackwater Cat will be docking right next to the hole in the water inn. There are an additional couple of docks that are empty. There is almost nobody around at the docks when the people arrive, maybe just a couple of people walking away, uh, but no one really hanging out there. In the past, when the PCs have been here, it has been a much more lively place. It seems to be that the reason for everybody being gone is that a fair amount of gold has been found someplace in the bog. And so a lot of people are out there prospecting. Remember, the whole idea of the bog here is that it's a prospecting town, a mining town. You know, we're from Colorado, or at least we live in Colorado now, in Kim's case. And, you know, there's a lot of mining culture here and everything, and a lot of uh, ghost towns and such. And this is kind of one of those towns where it built up really quick once people started finding gold floating up from the bog. And it's sort of ramshackle and rough and ready. Mind you, Tim forgets that Montana was based on mining as well, and so I'm pretty familiar with that kind of uh, environment, if not more so. How, how big is that pit in Butte? It's one of the largest Superfund sites on the planet. Mm, environmental damage. Hey, they're finding bacteria in there that could cure cancer. Well, could cause cancer too, but <laughs> we won't get into that. There you go. So yay for all those in Butte, Montana. Go Berkeley Pit. Right, so mining, town, and basically rumors spread like wildfire throughout the town that a bunch more gold had been found in the bog. And so everybody sort of rushed off into the bog, picked up everybody they could find to try to get on it. Because this gold seems to be floating up from below, so it's placer gold, it's found gold. They're not really sort of mining it so much as they are going out and finding it. That's the reason why there's really nobody in the village right now. Now, as Tim had mentioned that the Blackwater Cat is pulling up next to the Hole in the Water Inn, and that is also docked at the docks there. And it has been there for seemingly quite a long time. That inn, so to speak, has usually been in and out every three months or so. But it seems like it's been there for six months this time around. Presumably it's because they're waiting for the water to get a lot higher so they can more easily pull back up the river. Also to note, on the dock area, there is a number of warehouses, but one of particular interest, because that is going to be where the raftmaster will go into to settle up. And he also, as soon as the PCs pull the raft in to dock next to the hole in the water in, he will immediately suggest, well, order really, that they unload the raft completely into the warehouse that's nearest there, and you'll see it on the map. The interesting thing about this is that he has never ordered that the raft be completely unloaded. Many times customers will come and pick things up directly off the raft, and so when pressed about why he's having it unloaded, he finally will admit he's actually going to sell the raft, and in fact, he's already got a bid to sell the timbers to someone who's building a new structure in town, and so he needs to get everything off the raft. Another location to be aware of is that in near the docks, and this is currently closed, but you can rent a room there through the ranger who is running the hole in the water inn. The actual physical inn that's there on the docks belongs to a friend of the ranger's. He's sort of running it while the guy is gone. So if you pay the ranger, he can get you a room in the inn there, but you know he only does it sort of for people he knows. One of the rumors that the PCs will hear while they're unloading the Blackwater Cat is that a huge iron door knocker was found floating in the bog, which seems a little unusual. But it was not able to be recovered because it was too heavy to lift up out of the bog. Yet, at the same time, it was floating, which is sort of strange and mysterious. Another thing to be aware of of the layout of the town is that there is a street that comes to the docks, and if you go up that street, you will be heading into the town square. It's about a 10-minute walk from the docks into the town square if you walk leisurely. I mean, if you jog, it's much less than that. 
So getting on to what your PCs will be doing when you get to the village and you, you finish setting up that scene, as Tim had said that the Raftmaster has ordered them to unload the entire cargo of the Blackwater Cat onto the dock. So he's going to have them unloaded, and it's tough, heavy work, and it's probably going to take uh, a couple hours to get it all done with everybody working on it. Once that's complete, he will let the PCs know that he's going to go settle up some final accounts, and he will meet them on the upper deck of the Hole in the Water Inn in a couple of hours to settle accounts. This should be a really good opportunity for your PCs to find out that he plans on breaking down the raft and they can do their supposition as to why and role play that all out. So since they're going to be heading over to the hole in the water in, presumably to wait for the raft master, and if it sounds like they're like, oh, I'll go into town and talk to people or whatever, you might want to tighten that up. If you get the impression that they're itchy to go and talk to people, you might have the raft master say, I'll be back in 20 minutes or something. So after the characters are done um, unloading the Blackwater Cat, they will be heading over to the Hole in the Water Inn. Now, this is a bit of a character itself as it's a raft that is two stories that has a central role in the story. There are no sleeping rooms on it, even though it's called an inn. No one really knows why it's called an inn, even though there's really no sleeping rooms on it. It's sort of a combination between a Mississippi riverboat with no engine or paddle wheel or anything like that, and a lake party boat, if you will. The second tier is really nothing but a big bar and a little stage for people to perform on. And then the lower level is more of a sedate, little lounge area, and then some storage of casks and that sort of thing. So the ranger will also be there, and he will have been detailed somewhat in your character creation. Right. And they have all met him in the past, so there should be some rapport going on already. You know, it's up to you to decide how much or how well they know him, and, and again, that should have been somewhat detailed in your character creation. Now, there was a odd-looking orange box that was left with the ranger, to give to the Raftmaster, and he will mention that as the PCs come into the Hole in the Water Inn. Right, and it's about 16 inches square, made of a waxy orange-colored wood, and it's sealed tightly. Um, you might have to adjust the size of this depending on, you know, things you'll discover later on. The Ranger is also rumored to have done a lot of special missions for the King. You can role-play this out, but he is somewhat loath to talk about the reason he's stopped. He is now in retirement. Rumor has it he received some pretty grievous injury and had to uh, retire. And so he walks around with a limp. Later on, there will be some expose about why this is. But if he's asked about it at this point, he really doesn't talk about why he got it and just kind of tries to turn the conversation aside. So this is another great role-playing opportunity. Get the characters familiar with the ranger whom they will be interacting with quite a bit. So they're exhausted, they've been unloading the raft, they're waiting for their money, and they're hanging out on the inn, uh, just kind of with bated breath, I suppose, for what's going to happen next. They, of course, are going to have a lot to talk about based on the last adventure and the homunculus and the possible thievery of the items that they had on the raft. And the ranger will be happy to sort of make himself scarce if they don't seem to want to talk about it in his presence. So the next scene then is the setup of the attack. This is a fairly major combat encounter, and it's somewhat complicated in that there are two rafts involved, the Hole in the Water Inn and the Blackwater Catter docked next to each other. There are two long docks involved. There's the sort of docks themselves, there's water, and there's going to be two groups of enemy combatants. Now the map is going to be available on the show materials. And uh, we'll talk a little bit in the second half of the show about some details of how these maps are put together. 
The purpose of this is to let these PCs know that the attackers, which are Sahuagin, are looking for items that you had detailed. So in our case, we have coins. So this is, again, the item that matches the item that your mentor had as their signature item. They also want to get their hands on the ranger as well and kidnap him. Although it's pretty unlikely they will. He's... He's pretty tough still. So the tone of this is somewhat chaotic. There's a lot going to be going on. Your party is probably going to get split up. And there's a bit of a swashbuckling air as well, as you'll probably be jumping from raft to raft. You might end up in the water. Hopefully it's going to be dynamic and exciting. So you're going to have the ranger as one of the NPCs and then two sets of combatants. The Sahuagin are going to come from one side and then a group of Needlefang Drakes are going to come from the other. And this is an actual single creature called a Needlefang Drake Swarm. And it is a pretty nasty creature and we'll talk in detail in a minute here about its powers. But what's going to happen is the PCs will be sitting on the hole in the water in. There's sort of a street between the currently shut down inn and the warehouse where they hadn't loaded their stuff and where the raft man is currently sort of hanging out doing his thing. Running down that street will be a halfling screaming as the alarm bell in the town square rings and the Needlefang Drakeshorn will be chasing him and splitting off and tearing, you know, sort of the remaining villagers down and chasing this poor little halfling Lou until it sort of tackles him and starts chewing on him as he's screaming, hopefully attracting the PC's attention. Presumably your PCs are going to leave the hole in the water in and go to his rescue. While they're doing that, another group attacks the raft. So some Sahuagin will be coming up from the water on, onto the hole in the water in trying to kidnap the ranger. And one of them has a short metal rod, very similar to the one that the homunculus from our last session had. And it is looking for one of the items which it believes is hidden somewhere on the hole in the water in. So this is a pretty dynamic battle, and they're not going only for the ranger, but they are also going for his treasure, which they will be looking around because they presume that an item is going to be in that. And they are correct. Hidden in one of the barrels under the second tier of the raft in the sort of storage area is where the ranger keeps all of his valuables. So we're going to go through this battle so that you have an idea of how it should go. So let's go ahead and talk about the stats of the creatures themselves now that we've sort of set up what's going on. The first group is the Needlefang Drake Swarm. Again, this is a single creature. This is straight out of the Monster Manual. It's a basic sort of creature uh, in terms of swarms. The trick that the Needlefang Drake Swarm can pull off is this pull-down mechanic. And you'll find that the swarms, a lot of them have it, and the wolves, a lot of them, will have it. And it's a minor action. And a minor action, of course, means that they can do that and move and attack. All at the same time. And as a result, that's a lot of stuff. And this pull-down action, it's a minor at-will action. It's a plus seven versus fortitude, and the target is knocked prone. So as soon as that happens, then they do the Swarm of Teeth, which is a standard at-will melee attack, which is plus eight versus AC, D10 plus four damage, or 2D10 plus four damage against a prone target, which hopefully you've just used pull-down to make one of the PCs prone. So clearly it's to the swarm's advantage to make their opponent prone. 2d10 plus 4 damage, even in 4th edition, is a lot. It is certainly a lot, and that halfling Lou doesn't stand a chance. So he's going to be chewed on, and you know you can milk the drama of him possibly be able to save by the PCs, and it's up to you to how to work that. But then the other thing that the swarm can do is it has an aura attack. So anybody who's within one square of the swarm, and, and this is again a, a medium creature, so it takes up one normal square. Anyone who's within one of that immediately takes a basic attack from the swarm, 
So what that means is on the Needlefang Drake's turn, anybody who began their turn standing within one of the Drake immediately gets an attack from the Needlefang Drake. And it's a pretty nasty sort of situation because if the PCs gang up on it, then they all get attacked. And so depending on how this works out, you could have all of your PCs going to the halfling's rescue. You could have some front runners running out there who have high initiatives. It's really hard to say. Or if you have someone perhaps who has a face step, they might jump into the fray. He's alluding to the fact that my character does that an awful lot and occasionally suffers the consequences. The other sort of interesting thing about the Needlefang Drake Swarm is that it's vulnerable five against close and area attacks. So if one of your PCs is a wizard and has Scorching Burst, then that can actually be incredibly effective against this because essentially it means you're going to take an extra five points of damage from something like Scorching Burst or Burning Hands or anything of the closer area attack variety. Conversely, it takes half damage from melee and ranged attacks, so your fighters and your rogues who are shooting at it aren't going to do nearly as much damage, so keep that in mind as well. So once that all starts going, then you're going to have this commotion on the back of the Hole in the Water Inn, and that's going to be Sahuagin attacking the ranger. And you'll have to decide how you want to play this, whether they're sneaking on the raft or whether they're just brazenly coming up. It's really going to depend on your group. They have some pretty straightforward stuff. They have a trident attack that they can either throw or they can stab with. If they throw it, they'll have to go get it before they can throw it again or stab with it again. And the main thing that the Sahuagin have is Blood Frenzy. And what Blood Frenzy means is that they get a plus one bonus to attack rolls and plus two to damage against someone who's bloodied. So if you get one of your characters down to half hit points, then they, you know, kind of go into a shark blood frenzy and start attacking even harder. Hence why this whole set is called Young Sharks. The exact stats that you'll see for the Sahawagan are going to vary depending on how many of them you want to go ahead and put out. You know, you'll see that in the write-up in terms of how many they're going to be. There's going to be between 7 and 10 most likely, and that's quite a few. These things aren't particularly tough in the in version that you'll see written up. And again, I didn't take the standard Sahawagan. I toned it down a little bit so that it would be more appropriate for this level. But there's going to be quite a few of them, and that can make for a pretty exciting battle. And this is a big challenge because now your PC group is split up, presumably. One of them or more of them fighting the Needlefang Drakes, as well as some of them then fighting the Sahuagin. In addition, there's the possibility that someone may have wanted to try to keep an eye on the Raftmaster, uh, perhaps to make sure he didn't <clears throat> cheat them or something like that, and the idea is to draw them away from that, because the Raftmaster is having a bit of a trouble in the warehouse. Yes, indeed. In fact, what essentially is going to happen is the Raft Man is going to meet his terrible end in the uh, in the warehouse during this battle. He is going to be murdered by a contact that he had tried to meet. Now, ideally, the PCs are all being heroic and off in the streets fighting, trying to save the villagers. If you have a very large group or a particularly paranoid group, one of them may instead try to be keeping an eye on the Raft Master and uh, be hiding in the warehouse. If so, they will see another homunculus, similar to the one from uh, the first session, come in and essentially murder the raft man. And so this is going to play out in that the raft man has been doing his business in the warehouse, supposedly settling up and getting the cash to pay the PCs for the voyage. If they are there, then they will see the raft master having a discreet conversation with another clay-like creature. And during this conversation, it'll go on for a little bit, and then the creature will blow some dust into the raft master's face, at which point the raft master sort of reels a bit, the homunculus reaches up 
into the rafters or flies up to the rafters and grabs a noose that is hidden there, slips it around the raft master's neck and shoves him off a tall crate. And so this dust is actually poison, which will initially stun the raft master, but then will eventually kill him. And so the act of hanging isn't the murder method, but it is um, somewhat of a cover up for how it was done. Right. Now, the whole goal of this encounter is that this is all happening while the PCs are otherwise occupied. If you happen to have a group that's off and doing something else, then, you know, they'll see all this. But in general, what's going to happen is they're going to come back into the warehouse looking for the Raftmaster later and find him dead. And hanging from the uh, rafters with nobody around. So it could look like a number of things. It could look like he was murdered. Or it could look like that he was having a difficult time selling off his raft and he jumped to his death. So let's talk a little bit about what's exactly going to happen in terms of the Sahuagin trying to capture the ranger. In the warehouse, the raftmaster is meeting his end. The Sahuagin are coming up onto the raft. They're trying to find the item. They're also trying to capture the ranger with their net. And you won't really want the ranger to be captured, but you want him to look like it's going to be quite dangerous. So you're going to be throwing the net at him and, and getting him tangled up and that sort of thing. He doesn't walk too fast, but he's a pretty tough fighter, so he should be able to fight off a couple of them. We don't have stats for him, but again, this is something that you don't really need stats for. You can make him heroic and yet seem that he needs the help of the PCs. The Sahuagin are basically going to swarm the inn, and they're looking for this treasure as well as trying to capture the ranger. Depending on how your players want to handle it, they could decide that the ranger can handle his own thing, and if so, the Sahuagin are going to take him away. Exactly, and they might end up chasing him down in the river or something like that. I doubt it, but it's anything's possible. If the uh, Sahuagin do break into the keg, grab the item, shove it into their pouch, they're not going to just take off because, again, these are shark men. And, you know, once they get the blood frenzy and everything else, they're going to want to take on anything around them before they take off. You may decide that you want them to go ahead and get away, but I like to play up the blood frenzy aspect of once there's blood in the water, the sharks are swarming. Once this whole encounter is over, you're going to have a bit of an aftermath. Some things can happen that are a little crazy. Some of your PCs may have fallen during battle, which is altogether likely. Um, it is very doubtful that Lou, the halfling who was running down the street, has any way of surviving. And the ranger may or may not be there. I suspect that if the sharkman had captured him, he is going to be able to get away in some fashion. You might have him swim back in a few minutes, having slipped the Sahuagin finally. During this time, if all of your PCs partook of the battle and were not following the Raftmaster around, they might get curious as to why he hasn't shown up if he was that close to the battle and heard everything. Of course, typically their first suspicion is going to be that he's cheated them or something and run off. They will quickly find that not to be the case. So more than likely, they will go looking for him in the warehouse and they will find that he has jumped to his death. Once starting in cleanup mode, there will be some treasure to be found. The Sahuagin among all of their pouches and such are carrying a treasure parcel worth of gold treasure parcel 9 for the heroic tier party level 1 which is 60 gold pieces and the gold appears to be the sort of thing that's typically found in the bog which is misshapen chunks of stuff uh, like jewelry that's been acidied and that sort of thing if the ranger is still there and the item that you had chosen as to be special was not taken he will be very relieved and will repay the PCs with plenty of ale and food now, the fact that the ranger had one of these items on the hole in the water in and clearly was relieved that it wasn't taken is probably going to pique the PC's curiosity as to why he had it and what he knows about it. And that will lead to an encounter that will be detailed in our next session.
After the PCs find the Raftmaster, they will also be finding some treasure as well as some little tidbits of information. So he has their payroll on him, which is another treasure parcel's worth of stuff. Treasure parcel 8, which is about 120 gold. They will also find a small silver key on him, which fits the orange box that had been left for him on the Hole in the Water Inn. And then, of course, there is the infamous orange box. So the box itself can be opened with the key or with a thievery check of 25. It's perfectly sized to hold five of the smaller boxes that hold the items. If you have chosen that the items aren't in other boxes, then you'll have to decide what the interior of the box looks like to hold five of these things. At the bottom of this orange box is a smaller box that contains an item as well. So the box can contain five of the items and does currently contain one of them. So at this point, having retrieved the box that has one of the items in it, you should have a total of three of these items in the party. The one that they got during the homunculus encounter from last session, the one that they just found at the bottom of this orange box, and in addition, and this is sort of part one of the cliffhanger, on one of the Sahuagin, they will find the mentor's signature item. Not one of them, but the item. So it's kind of up to you to decide exactly what it looks like. In our case, since it was a coin, it had been determined that it was actually inside an eye patch. And so the eye patch of the mentor was found with the coin still inside, which pretty much makes people think that the mentor has been captured by the Sahuagin, which is true. And so that pretty much concludes the first part of the podcast, and we will come back and tell you some tips and tricks and things we found out while we were doing the play. We'll be back after the break. All right. Listen to the Tome, a D&D news, reviews, interviews, and advice podcast with your Tome host, Jeff Greiner. It's a critical hit at www.thetomeshow.com. and welcome back. We are now going to talk about a few of the details that you might want to pay attention to while you're doing this entire session. So this is an opportunity to do a lot of fun things with maps and sound effects and that sort of thing. The very first encounter is when the PCs are sailing down the river and they see the bog for the first time. As I said previously, this is really an opportunity for nostalgia, an opportunity for sort of building anticipation. Perhaps the PCs would like to see some of the people that they know in their village that were detailed in their background building. They're looking forward to getting off the raft. They're looking forward to moving on from life on the Blackwater Cat uh, and really sort of build that anticipation. The key, though, is that do not let them get too far away from the docks. And if you have to play the raft master as kind of a jerk to say, no, you know, stay here until I get back with your money and then you can be free or whatever. And this might be a little difficult because you're going to have your players really detail the raft master and they might play him up as a benevolent, sweet kind of guy. In which case, it's up to you to say, no, guys, you know, I really just would appreciate it if you could hang around for just a little longer. I'll get you your money and then you can go off and do your own thing. Due to the kind of group that we have, the Raftmaster is a jerk who's a bigot and a misogynist, so he was very easy to roleplay. And <clears throat> when he later was found murdered, no one particularly um, missed him. Not at all, and in fact, we kind of thought... Yes. When they first arrive in the, the village, again, it's sort of your chance to play up the feeling and the atmosphere of the place. Ruins upon ruins, it's crumbling, it's cold, it's boggy, there's this you know gassy miasma, peat smoke... It's really sort of a, an interesting take on a, a typical mining town. Just imagine if you sort of set Deadwood in the middle of an Irish bog. 
And it's not quite late. It's mid-afternoon to late afternoon, so enough time for the PCs to unload the raft and get it done the way it needs to be done. But it's not dark yet. So by the time the attack comes, it's just dusk, that really hard time to actually see, and it's a great time for an attack. And of course, at this point, they are also pretty tired and they just kind of want to be done. And so they're waiting for the Wrath Master and having a drink and the uh, Rangers chatting them up and, and that sort of thing. And then the attack happens. So when the attack happens, what I actually did is in order to make that much more of a surprise, I took a piece of music off of the same CD that we took our theme music from, which I can't recommend highly enough, the Dronelands Tower CD, and I actually edited in the, the sound of some church bells ringing, which were the alarm bells of the town square. And I put that sound in after about two and a half minutes of the song. So what I did is I flipped on my iPod and I started the music playing, and since we typically have music going, it wasn't that big a surprise to the PCs. They're used to hearing the music and everything else, so they heard this piece of music, and I'm playing the ranger and I'm chatting and I'm serving drinks and all this sort of thing and then suddenly overlaid on top of it you hear this alarm bells ringing and everybody's like what the heck is going on and so then I said tearing out of the space between the two buildings you see this poor halfling running chased by this pack of chihuahua sized lizards with giant teeth. Which was really the impetus for the PCs to get going and to try to deal with it. Now you will hear in our session of play that we have a new player in there. Wick had not been able to make it to our first session. And so his character actually wasn't on the raft at the time. This is a typical sort of thing you have to deal with in the real world, which is this character who's part of the group wasn't there last time. So what was he doing last time? Well, what I did is I had him delivering the orange box uh, to the hole in the water inn. So it was really interesting because they show up to the hole in the water inn and he's sitting there drumming his fingers on top of this box saying, where's the raft master? And so that kind of sets the scene up really well. And as it turns out, then he wasn't really on the raft yet. So he had an opportunity to address the swarm immediately. Right. He was sitting right close to the edge. And so he was the first one uh, to get the swarm. And being somewhat of a heroic fighter type, of course, he wanted to go rescue the poor little halfling. And you're more than likely going to have somebody who's the artillery person. So they're probably not going to be leaving the raft, which is going to be kind of surprising for them when they're snuck up from behind by the Sahuagin. Again, depending on your group, you can have them sort of sneakily slip out of the water Navy SEALs style, or you can just have them, uh, I think actually what I did is I had them on another raft that was coming down the river uh, obliquely and kind of crashed into the side and they, a bunch of them jumped out onto the raft all at once. Needless to say, it's going to be a surprise that they are being attacked from two different sides. By two completely different groups of creatures. And that's really the sort of fun part to play this uh, is to have these two different groups going on at the same time. They're close enough where people can move back and forth between both battles but far enough apart that it can get exciting in terms of supporting across both of them. And from the player's perspective, this wasn't that big of a deal or didn't seem very set up because the swarm is something that kind of inhabits the swamp. And so it wasn't unrealistic to imagine that a swarm could be invading the town, especially if there weren't a lot of people around. And that's why there was the alarm bells, is they're used to crazy stuff coming out of the swamp. It did flow very well. Now, having the Sahuagin attack really kind of piques the interest of the PCs because that's unusual. So let me talk a minute about the statistical part of this. Uh, what I actually did is I used, right out of the book, the Sahuagin minion. So this is a, a level 6 creature that has one hit point. And what I found is that even though numerically the XP total worked out, to be appropriate for this group. What happened was the AC was so high for these creatures that 
it was almost impossible to hit them, and thus it became very frustrating. Luckily, the rogue, Oshkin, was on an incredible dice streak and was able to pick them all off with his bow. Uh, but unfortunately, the fighter couldn't hit anything, and so it was really sort of an interesting back and forth uh, between those two things. So what I'm going to actually put in the write-up is a slightly different version of that. Instead of the 6th level minions, I'm going to put in a scaled-down level 3 version of the minion, which is a uh, young Sahawagan guard, I'm calling it, which is why we have young sharks as our title. And this is still a minion, so they still only have one hit point, but they have a much lower armor class, 17 instead of 23, which is considerably easier to hit for these level characters. And I also made a lot more of them. Now there's 7 to 10 of them instead of just the 4 that I had originally run. So I'm really looking forward to people telling me how this all goes with the adjusted math. We use adventure tiles for the entirety of this scene. Ed Burrell over at Skeleton Key Games produces some fantastic adventure tiles that you can print out on your computer, cut out, and then stick together. And what I've actually done is constructed the encounter map for this encounter from those tiles. And you can see it in the show materials. And then if you run over to RPGnow.com, you can actually buy the PDFs of those tiles and assemble the map exactly as we have it. And I, I list which tiles are used in the show materials. We have a little bit of an addiction to these tiles i think we own probably six seven sets of them if not <coughs> more more like 20 but yeah and we get them printed out and you can mix and match them so they're a great resource for any kind of game that you're doing it really adds a lot of flavor and fun especially in the case like this where you have two rafts and warehouses and everything else and he's got such great tiles to represent those it makes it a lot more fun I have recently heard a lot of complaints about 4th edition D&D because it seems to be more of a tactical game where you have to have a game mat and you have to have miniatures. By having these game tiles, it really adds a lot more to the game itself and the ambiance and the story because the characters don't have to really think about it. It's all laid out right there for them. And what you can really do to make this, again, is to play up the fact that this poor halfling is being chewed by these little chihuahua-sized lizards and the Sahuagin are coming up and the rangers being netted and the alarm bells going off and smoke everywhere. And you really can just do all kinds of stuff to make it more about the story and not just I walk up and start rolling dice. And because of that confusion and chaos, it's very easy for the PCs to lose track of the Raftmaster. So hopefully you don't have anybody really tracking him. If you do, this is the perfect time to lure them out because there's a lot of stuff going on that they really should be involved in. This is where I try to play on the heroism of the PCs. You know, we don't have the same sort of alignments that we did in previous editions of the game, but we definitely still have that heroic feel. And if you have a party that's all anti-heroes or whatever else, well, you're going to have to find some other way to motivate them in this case. Really, you know, I'm not sure what that would be, but perhaps they think that their money is in danger. Well, and I know that one of the ways that Tim was able to kind of lure us out was he just waited the rogue out. We would check on the Raftmaster, and we just saw him sitting around in the warehouse. And so that eventually got very boring to role play, and there's really no point of watching somebody that's not doing anything. So what she means is that right after they unloaded the raft, the raft master goes into the warehouse, and them being paranoid and suspicious, the rogue decides to watch what the raft master is doing. So Oshkin is perched outside the window and sneaking and spying on him. And I said, okay, after 15 minutes, he's sitting there drumming his fingers on the table and waiting. What do you do? Okay, another 15 minutes has gone by. What do you do? Okay, another 15 minutes. And, and eventually, the call of the ale on the uh, hole in the water inn was too much for him, and he went back. And that's exactly the moment that I had the attack happen. 
So keep that in mind and really know what your players are going to be doing because they kind of have a set way of playing already. And you probably are going to know that. The conclusion of this Knights of Adventure is really this double cliffhanger. The first part of the cliffhanger is that the Raftmaster has been murdered and is hanging and swinging in the warehouse. The second part of it is that the Mentor's signature item has been discovered on one of the Sahuagin, pretty much cluing everyone in that he has been captured. And what's going to happen is the Ranger will be telling them, oh, you know what? There was an attack on the outpost a couple, three days ago, a big attack. And I think they did take some prisoners, but I hadn't heard who it was. So the whole interview with the ranger and his whole story and and all that we'll be detailing in the next session. But that's the double cliffhanger of what's going on. And it really is kind of fun if you play it up multiple ways. Now, we were actually going on with the session at this point which we typically wouldn't do. This would be the end of it. But if you can, uh, it can be a lot of fun to end the session with. You walk into the warehouse and the raft master is hanging from the rafters. And that's where we'll start next time. All right. Well, thanks for listening. And if you have any comments or questions, please visit our forums at spookyouthouse.com. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Return to North Form, a podcast released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 2.5 license by Tim White and Kim Stone. Our theme music is Charge of the Valiant from Dronalyn's Tower, Legends of Kittelin, Volume 1, Tales of the Long Forgotten, used by permission of its composer, David Allen Young. Find out more about their fantastic gaming music at dronalyn.com. Visit us and many other fine podcasts at spookyouthouse.com. 